long time ago, Amanda Palmer was half of the breakthrough rock group, The Dresden Dolls. Coin operated boy sitting on the shelf. He is just a toy, but I turn him on. They got the full record label treatment. They went into the studio, they made an album, and that album ended up selling about 20,000 copies. Then came the difficult meeting with their label. They were getting kicked off the label because they'd only sold 20,000 copies. And then something really surprising happened. Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second to talk about true fans and micropayments. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Hi, it's Bernadette G, and I'm here to talk to you about how you can become a better storyteller. Storytelling is not an art reserved for the chosen few. It's a skill that you can learn, just like the students who've taken part in the Story Skills Workshop have done. Actually, I had a story to tell that was really important for me, but also was going to be very, very important for people in the future. It's been absolutely life-changing for me to see stories everywhere and to see my own stories. I was surprised that the learning was as much in the giving as in the receiving. We got to not only learn about storytelling, we actually got to practice using stories in our everyday life. The biggest shift I've found is now my own stories and the stories that I really want to tell are bubbling to the surface. I can't stop seeing them. Whether you're just starting out or you're an experienced storyteller, this is a place where your stories will get better in a very short time, guaranteed. If you're ready to become a better storyteller, I hope you'll join us. Find out more at thestoryskillsworkshop.com. Before I dive into the story of Amanda Palmer and what happened after that, here's a question from Ross. We do love to hear from you. If you've got a question about this or future episodes, I hope you'll drop me a line. Just visit akimbo.link, that's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K. Hi, Seth, it's Ross here from Cape Town. Um, I've got a question about microtransactions, um, specifically with a subscription model. If you're creating content, your own content, and you want to start monetizing it with subscription, how do you know when the right time is to flick that switch and to ask people to pay. Um, Obviously, you don't want to scare away your loyal customers, but you want to start benefiting from their attention um, in kind of a, a straightforward way by whether it's a Patreon account or a direct subscription model for a newsletter or whatever it is. Um, any insight on when to flick that switch would be most appreciated. Thanks very much. Cheers, bye. Thanks, Ross, for this great question. I decided to turn it into an entire episode. So what happened to Amanda Palmer? Well, not long after that album, not long after they got kicked off the label, Amanda Palmer did a Kickstarter. She did a Kickstarter for her next record. It ended up breaking every record Kickstarter had ever set for music. She raised more than a million dollars in less than four weeks, the most successful music Kickstarter ever. 
After it was over, she totaled up the math, and she pointed something out to me. She said, you know how many people backed my million-dollar Kickstarter, the one that was every musician's goal, the one that broke every record? You probably guessed. It was 20,000. 20,000 people gets you kicked off a label, and yet 20,000 people makes you extraordinarily successful in the way you make music. So what's going on here? Why are micropayments so seductive? And what does this have to do with your question? Hey, Seth, this is Jeremy in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I just got done listening to your episode on micropayments, which I found fascinating, especially because I'm playing in what I call, what we call the sub-creator world right now, which is the concept of a creator uh, monetizing directly from their audience on a subscription model. So for $5 a month, you get access to my premium newsletter posts, uh, and everybody else gets access to only the free newsletter uh, issues. And I'm curious to know if you consider this a form of micropayment, even though it's, you know, five bucks, seven bucks per month that people are charging. And if so, where do you see the future of companies like Substack um, that are playing in this space right now? All right. Thanks so much. Ready? There are a bunch of factors at work. The first one is this, the smallest viable audience. 20,000 people is enough for Amanda Palmer to sell a million dollars worth of music and music-related activity. That it might be that a 1,000 people subscribing to your newsletter for $5 a month is enough for a side hustle, and that 3,000 people is enough for it to be a full-time job. The smallest viable audience was impossible 50 years ago, maybe based on geography, but not based on anything else, because you need people from all over the world interested in that thing you're teaching for it to work that you will find the 3,000 or the 10,000, or in Amanda's case, the 20,000 people who will show up with money. Smallest viable audience brings with it a responsibility, and the responsibility is to make something that's actually extraordinary, not simply the best you could do. Because if it's just the best you could do, we're not going to pay for it. There are plenty of free substitutes online. If you're going to charge for it, you've got to figure out how to be extraordinary to someone. Which leads to Kevin Kelly's idea of the 1,000 true fans, largely misunderstood. Because most people who say they want to have 1,000 true fans don't have any true fans. What does it mean to have a true fan? The true fan will collect your collectibles. The true fan will cheer you on. The true fan will not keep score of whether they've given you too much or too little money in any given moment. A true fan might be in for 100 bucks a year, 200 bucks a year. And if your goal is to say, well, this is a little bit better than free, so just pay me a couple bucks, it's a micropayment, it doesn't count, you're not actually courting true fans. So what it means to have a true fan is that you have found someone who defines themselves based on their activity with you. And this is at the heart of Patreon, that people aren't paying money to Patreon because they don't have enough music in their life. They're paying money because it makes them feel good to be a true fan, which then leads to the long tail. Chris Anderson's idea that when you get rid of filters, the ones that push us to get to the top of the charts, you open up this enormous world of choices. Blockbuster had a whole bunch of DVDs and videotapes. Netflix had all of them. 
Well, here's the deal. Half of Netflix rentals came from DVDs that Blockbuster never even carried. Half of Amazon's sales of books are books that Barnes & Noble doesn't even sell. Half. The long tail means that there's room for the smallest viable audience. The long tail opens the door for people who have something distinctive. It opens the door for people who are going to be able to find and nurture true fans. But the thing about the long tail is that mostly it's empty. That if we look at the sales of the Kindle or we look at sales of music in the iTunes store, what we see is that an enormous number of titles on the Kindle have sold fewer than five copies. Five, not 500, five. That a huge number of songs on iTunes weren't listened to even one time last year. That as the long tail gets longer and longer, it's a place where ideas go to die, not where they go to thrive. And that leads to the flip side. And the flip side is that every person who has successfully organized a following online of smallest viable audience fans has discovered that it's the whales that make the whole thing work. That Amanda Palmer didn't get to a million dollars by selling a million $1 downloads. She did it because a whole bunch of people bought a $5,000 house party. A $5,000 house party could be life-changing if you're a huge fan of Amanda Palmer. $5,000 times 20, that's 10% of the entire money raised. So one of the challenges of the Substack model is you've got a whole bunch of people who might be willing to read your thing for free. Not everybody. In fact, almost nobody wants to read your thing for free, but a lot of people. Okay. And then you're saying, but for five bucks a month, if you're a big fan, you can read it. The problem is you've cut off the short head. The problem is you haven't given the patrons anywhere to go. The people who want to pay you $100 a month for a Zoom call, for free consulting, for being part of your community where they get to check in with each other, you've shut them out. And they are the key to driving the whole thing forward. That what we need to do if we're going to get past this mindset of here's a nickel, it's a micropayment, it doesn't count, is we've got to figure out how to create something that a few people desperately care about and will choose to talk about. Because that's the last part of this, is that getting the word out still matters. Even if your smallest viable audience is 2,000 subscribers, you're not going to find 2,000 people in your inner circle who are going to pay you money. So what you're going to need to do is figure out how to turn that little tiny spot you've got on the long tail of 10 or 15 people into a network effect. Why would someone talk about what you do? The most successful substacks have succeeded because paying subscribers forward the emails they're getting to people who aren't paying. Why would they do that? They're doing it to say, I have more status than you. I could afford this newsletter. They're doing it because they're generous and saying, here, here's some information you should have known. They're doing it because they want to stay connected with people they care about. And you know what happens when someone gets one of those newsletters? Maybe, just maybe, they decide to subscribe, probably with company money, but to subscribe because getting that information before your colleague emails it to you is worth way more than it costs. And so we end up with that model. So if we look at Bloomberg, Bloomberg the company, not Bloomberg the billionaire, 
Bloomberg, the company, makes billions of dollars in profit, selling information that's largely available online for free 15 minutes later. They don't have that many customers, only 100,000 maybe, but it's 100,000 people who are paying $2,000 a month every month, month after month. That's a lot of simoleons. And yet, it's still sort of a micropayment in the scheme of what it costs to run a trading floor, what it costs to run an investment bank. Now, the people who are paying that kind of money, they're not everyone. In fact, to a rounding error, it's nobody. But it's enough nobodies that they're doing fine. And they're not charging these people a dollar or five dollars a month. They charge a lot, but you're getting more than you pay for. Because getting that information processed the way it's processed and getting it 15 minutes before your competitors is worth a fortune. So what we've got to figure out how to do if we want to sell music is develop true fans, people whose lives are better because they are big-time supporters of you and your work. What we've got to do is make it appealing for the people who are the whales, who can pay more than makes any sense whatsoever because they're getting more than anybody could possibly want. And that the combination of those two things gives somebody more joy, more satisfaction, more status, more connection than they could have gotten from anybody else. So when I made the 18-pound behemoth and its follow-up, the Titan, I made a ridiculous book. It's 800 pages long. It's big enough to kill a small mammal. Please don't. There were only a few thousand of them made. I could have made more, but I didn't. By purposely making something more beautiful than it had to be, bigger than it had any right to be, more expensive than any book you've ever bought before, I created an object, an object that only one out of a thousand or one out of two thousand of my fans would decide they wanted to buy. But I regularly hear from those people telling me how it's sitting on a dictionary stand or on their coffee table and how people look at it. And every time someone looks at it and interacts around it, it's different than all the other books in their house. And so they bought something different. And it wasn't a micropayment. What it was was an emotional decision, a connection, a chance to speak up and support something that you thought was interesting. So I'm wishing Substack well. I am hopeful that Patreon or Patreon, you can say it any way you want, figures out how to scale even further. I hope neither one of them gets industrialized, but they both will, by people who are hustling to figure out how to cut some corner or another. But what we really need is humanity. What we really need are people who are showing up and saying, here, I made this for a few, and doing it in a way that gives those people joy and gives those people something to talk about. So that's my rant. You got to hear it for free. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you've got a question for next time, please visit akimbo.link and press the appropriate button. Now, here's a word from our sponsor, he says with an ironic grin. If you want to learn to ride a bicycle, don't watch a video, don't read a book. Hey, it's Seth, and I'm here to talk about the Akimbo workshops. These are interactive, real-time, online workshops that work. And we're devoting 2020 to finding one that matches where you need to go. If you're ready to level up, I hope you will check out akimbo.com to find out about our proven, effective workshops.